So, retrospectors, what historical events are we ticking off on this week's run of Today in History? Well, on Tuesday, we head to the battlefields of medieval Spain to witness the very first ambulance. On Wednesday, it's the anniversary of the day Coca-Cola's creator hit on his winning formula. He dropped the wine, but kept the cocaine. On Thursday, the thief who stuffed the crown jewels down his trousers. And on Friday, when free-spirited Danish parenting put 90s New York in a tears. We discuss this and more on Today in History with the Retrospectors. Ten minutes every weekday, wherever you get your podcasts. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello, man fans. Ollie Man here. It's been a while. Here is what's coming up on today's show. If you said to me the year before this happened, this will be something that happened to you, I think, no way, that's, I would know how to stop that, that's nothing I'd get involved with, I'd, I'd run a mile, cool. well, it did happen to me and I did not see it coming. Ben was a secondary school teacher, then he wasn't, his compelling story, plus. It is possible and babies have been born through womb transplants. Alex Fox talks adoption, surrogacy and conception inception and Ollie Peart unboxes some sausage. It's all to come on this edition of The Modern Man. But first, your letters and hello to John in Matthews, North Carolina. Uh, He's written in to alert us to the fact that that Peter Crouch podcast appear to have stolen our idea of having podcast ambassadors around the world. That is absolutely outrageous, John, and I am fuming, and I would surely be filing a lawsuit with the BBC if I hadn't nicked the idea myself from Nate Langson's text message podcast. Uh, You reap what you sow. Uh, And on a related note, uh, thank you to Jeff in China, who's been in touch to ask whether a map exists of all our ambassadors around the world. Uh, Not yet, Jeff, but I am a big fan of an interactive map. I love this website called Radio Garden. I don't know if you've ever used that, but it's like a rotating image of the planet and you spin it like a big drinks cabinet and then you can dip into any live radio stream in the world visually. Uh, It's brilliant. So if someone wants to make an interactive map of all the ambassadors in the world... Uh, I can send you Darcy's spreadsheet, which he sent us. Let's do it. Let's cross-pollinate some data. How trendy is that? Information is power. Uh, If you'd like to lend your computer skills to that, let me know. Uh, And hello as well to Toby, who tweeted us, at The Modern Man, to congratulate us for being nominated Best Interview Podcast at the British Podcast Awards. I mean, I wasn't going to mention it, Toby, but, uh, you know... Since, since you have. Uh, now, uh, I've got some news for you regarding a change to our schedule. Uh, from this point onwards, we are now a monthly show. We're coming out once per month. Now, there's a few reasons for that. Uh, firstly, the amount of time it takes to make this show because of the magazine format. It's a bit like making three podcasts in each episode. And actually, if you look back since we started the show, you know, our first episode was 30 minutes long. Our new episodes average an hour each. Now, that is for good reason. I hope you agree. It's because we get really surprising and unique middle feature interviews now. And 
I mean, the one coming up today is an absolute corker. You will not have heard an interview like it before, I promise. Uh, But it is really time-consuming to produce work like that on a weekly basis, alongside our other commitments. We're a completely independent show. And the other reason for this change is happy news. Uh, Both producer Matt and myself are expecting to become dads again in August. Uh, Our respective partners are pregnant usual caveat on that we didn't synchronize our conceptions it's so weird that keeps happening on this show (laughs) but anyway uh, we are now a few months away from d-day and there's really no point us pretending to you that we will be able to remotely produce a slick weekly show when we've got our second kids crawling around our feet Uh, so yes this show is now a monthly show uh, but we're not going to take any breaks This show will now be on year-round. We're not going to be in seasons in that way. Uh, We're going to have a new episode dropping on the first of every month. So all you need to remember, actually, whatever day of the week it is, we're not a Tuesday show anymore. If it is the first of the month, there will be a new episode waiting for you. So the next one's June the 1st, then July the 1st, and so on. That does mean, though, that the See You Next Tuesday catchphrase is for the axe. It's probably about time. It's a pretty childish joke, and I have now forced it upon your ears 90 times. But uh, I'm, I'm slightly sad to see it go, and I apologise to those of you uh, who, like me, feel ever so slightly regretful about that. Uh, so there you go. We are still here. We're the same show. We're not going anywhere. We're just monthly. And um, finally on this, quickly because there is nothing more boring to future listeners than a podcast host talking about old scheduling when they go back through the archive. (laughs) But it is relevant now. Uh, Thank you so much to those of you who support us financially with beer money. If you have a recurring plan with us, we paused your payments for months anyway whilst we were off air, but they are now up and running again. If you feel like you know, you signed up to support our show thinking you'd be getting 20 or 30 episodes a year and you're now going to be getting fewer than that, I totally get it if you want to amend the amount of money that you send us each month. Please don't feel awkward about that. Just let me know. You can send me an email via the feedback form on our website and change your regular contribution to whatever amount you want. Just name your figure. Uh, But please, if you can, do keep supporting us with an amount because without that, we we actually can't make this show at all. Um, We really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Uh, Right, on today's New Look Monthly Modern Man, you will learn... How much the average pet owner spends on their pet each year. You'll learn why you should never call an aggressive student bunny. And you'll learn what Ermeyerotic Ansky Kuster Hauser syndrome is. Let's go. Okay, time for the Zeitgeist. Your trends tested with our man about clown. Ollie Pitt. Hi, Ollie. Welcome to Regent. I don't know why I'm welcoming you. I'm not the Lord Mayor, but we are in Regent's Park in central London. You're walking around like it. Um, <laughs> and, uh, well, we'll explain why we're in Regent's Park in just a minute. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Yeah? yeah. What have you been up to since I... well, last we spoke, which was about six months ago now? I've been all over the place. I've been... Uh, like a bad rash. Testing an Italian bag on the streets of... Actually, Dorset, so that's not that far. Test- but I've been to Copenhagen, had electrical pulses fired through my brain. And then I went to Zurich and I drove a tiny little electric car illegally on a, on a town square with lots of people looking at me, including the police. <laughs> that is a very glamorous summary of it what is. you've been up to. Anyway, we, well, let's say why we're in Regent's Park. We're in Regent's Park because of the following email from Susan Swear, I suppose, or it could be Swire. S-W-I-E-R. Swire. Swire? Mm-hmm. So that with great confidence, why? Well, I live in Dorset and that's how we pronounce Swire. 
There's loads of swires in Dorset. Spelled like that? S-W-I-E-R? No. Right. She's in Malaysia. She says, I've listened to every episode of The Modern Man, and my favourite section is the zeitgeist. These people really exist, Ollie. That is astonishing, isn't it? Uh, she says, recently I started following Ollie Peart on Instagram. Oh, creepy. Uh, and so, I mean, she's got the life we all want. And saw, oh, hold on. What are you doing with my, you're steering really badly. Okay. Well, I've got him. Milo, come here. Here. Come here. And I saw that he has an adorable dog. I do. I mean, I'm not really a dog person, actually. You're doing all right now. Thank you, I'm a bit nervous. So I can confirm he is an adorable dog. His name is Milo. Yep. He's 10. He'll be 10 in August. And he is a Jack Russell, but you think he might have a bit of chihuahua in him, is that right? Yeah, because he's very, very small. And also, if you look at his back paws, they're very yeah. chihuahua-y. So I'm actually walking him at the moment. Mm -hmm. um, am I doing a decent job? I don't have much dog walking experience. Yeah, you kind of, you were really worried about it. You, you're doing a fine yeah, job. it's a I living mean, creature and I'm walking it through the streets of the West End. I mean, you're not walking it, and it's a him, by the way. <laughs> oh, he's no, fine. See, now he's way ahead of me. He's like two meters ahead he's of me. He's an How incredibly do I bring him experienced back? dog. Right, just stop. Press stop. this button. Stop. It's not hard. Okay, stop. And then he'll come to me. Just call him. Call Milo. Him. Milo. 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 Milo, come here. me like, why are you talking to me? No, he's no, coming no, to you. Gonna... He's not coming to me. It's fine. Lucy. My, come here. My. Come here. You don't need to abbreviate it too simple. Good name. boy. Good boy. See, now put it on the short. Yeah, yeah. On the short. There you go. On the terms. On the short. There you go. And you're all right. You're ready to go. Anyway, back to Susan's challenge. She says. I've thought of a challenge related to Ollie's dog. Nice. Could he try out some dog subscription boxes? Uh, and then she's, that's by the way, that's subscribing for food and stuff, not actual dogs. Yes. You don't get a different dog every month. Well, that would be cool. <laughs> have you noticed that this is really a thing? Dog subscription boxes, is it actually a trend? It is a trend. And yeah, I have noticed. And actually there are over 25 of these boxes, like these subscription boxes. They're all slightly different. Oh, like there's really? like a health one, and then there's, you know, food and toys and that kind of stuff. Apart from this challenge coming from Susan, have you been tempted to actually get a subscription box yourself? I have, and I do. I subscribe to a, a service called tails.com. So that's just food okay. for Milo, which gets delivered to your door in a massive bag. Well, hold on. I mean, I, I've got a cat yeah. and we need food delivered. Sure. And when I want to, I go to the Pets at Home website and they deliver it. Why do I need a sort of hipster subscription box for my dog? <laughs> well, one... I'm really forgetful when I forget to get the dog food from time to time. So uh -huh. that's, it also makes sure that your dog or cat is being fed the right amount and the right type of food. So what you do is when you sign up, you give them the weight of your dog, mm -hmm. the breed of your dog, things that your dog might like. Like if you know that your dog likes chicken, Milo loves chicken. Uh -huh. How do you then, feel about that as a vegetarian? I've given up meat so he can eat chicken. When you that's not the only reason I've given it up. But I mean, it's one of the reasons. Isn't there a part of you that wished he ate beetroot, though? No, and I'd just get really worried about picking up his poo. <laughs> but also, right, you know, fat dogs are everywhere. And the tails thing, what it does, it comes with this, like, uh, fold-up scoop with, like, different settings. So it's like A, B, C, D, one, two, three, four. And they go, your setting is... <laughs> that sounds like one of those things <laughs> you used to have in the playground, you know, when you'd make a thing out of paper and people would pass it around and oh, well, you had tell to you who you were going to get you off You had with. to kiss your mate. Yeah. <laughs> You do. I, didn't, anyway, I never had to do that. Scoop. Okay. Foldable yeah. scoop. Okay. Foldable scoop. So it'll go your B2. So then you clip it into B, clip it into two, and it gives you the perfect size scoop for right. your dog. So you don't overfeed your dog. Okay. Sounds like Empress New Clothes. How much do you spend on it? Uh, $6.99 a month. That's a reasonable price, to be fair, on dog food, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's fine. Dog food can be really expensive. Okay. So that's tails.com, but you've got an actual... This is a different subscription box here. This isn't just food, is it? Yeah, it kind of looks a bit like a shoebox, doesn't it? This it does. is the Buster box. Based on the uh, Phil Collins movie of the same name. And this isn't 
just food, like tails. Yeah. This has got toys and like treats and stuff. So it's if you want to spoil your dog. I must say Milo's quite excited about it. Well, like, he was he's, sniffing, he's sniffing it. all around it. Like it would either contain dog toys or presumably like a dead rat. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to get a bit of shopping channel now. Yeah. Seventeen ninety nine a month. Wow. A recent survey said that pet owners spend over a thousand pounds a year on their pets. So this is nothing, really. Two hundred pounds. Okay. Well, yeah, all right. I can believe it. Yeah, go on. Here we go. Go right. on. Yeah. Da, 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 da. Okay. So it comes with a. So these are the beef sausages, which look like little wow. poos. They no, they look like cabanas. Ooh, don't smell they? those. Do I want to stick a dog sausage in Listen, my face? Listen, we're reviewing dog stuff. Just smell it. <sighs> Yeah, I'd eat that, yeah. Can I feed one to Milo? Am I allowed to? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's very firm. Is that normal? I mean, that's fine. It's, they like chewing stuff. Not going to choke on it? Yeah, No, no, okay. no, it's not going right. to. I mean, you can break a bit off. Oh, okay. I was He's only little. Right. Oh, what did you do with your son? You just went, you didn't give him a whole bloody sausage. That was very revealing comparing Milo to a child immediately. Well, that it basically, dogs are children, they're just better. But he is chewing that. Uh, he likes that a lot. He's getting into it, yeah. And then what else have you got here? So there's toys in here as well. There's toys. And his thing is balls. He loves balls. So he's not that interested in the big star. So I think I'm going to give that to another dog. Oh, okay. So are you saying if I throw this star, he's not going to run after he, it? He won't, he won't okay. chase it. Let Let's me try. let him off the lead. Let's try. Okay, here goes. You're letting him off the lead in Regent's Park. This yeah. will be the last time you see your dog. No, no, no. He's fine. He's not Fenton. Okay. Right, go on. One, two. He's very excited. Oh, go he's on. going to run well, again. Maybe he it. is going to go. All right, what? He's <laughs> already going. I haven't thrown it yet. Oh, gosh. I'm teasing him. Two. I'm not teasing. I'm preparing. You still Three. haven't. Oh totally gone for it yeah there we go loved it he's loving that isn't he but no but you haven't compared it so to I don't the trust other two your reviews now no but you haven't compared it to the other two he's all over that he loves it but what happens if you throw one of the other ones okay throw, I right this can't is can't imagine what would happen when you throw a ball to a dog this is the sensory that's ball. horrifying this is uh that's horrifying is it so that's it's a tennis ball that yeah. they've made look like grandpa munster well they've given it different with a face textures. on it like wilson the ball from castaway but with pink lips yeah but without the bloody hand it looks like a burns victim is what it looks like <laughs> <laughs> it just doesn't seem right. Am I wrong? See, he's given up the star yeah, already. Yeah, actually Throw the it. sensory ball. Okay. He's getting he's, all senses. Okay. So what does, that. what does that mean then? Yeah, they like lots of different shapes and, and textures and things like that. So is it really worth the money then? I just, I'll tell you what I think. Like once a month just seems excessive. He already has way too many toys because my sister-in-law brings toys every time she comes down, like 20 of them, from the bloody pound shop. They're the kind of things like he chews up and then poops out the next day. Yeah. I like the idea that they're really good quality, but yeah, I'd yeah. quite like it if you could just buy them as one-off. All right, so a cautious thumbs up. Yeah. Have you tested anything else? I have. Susan might be intrigued by? I've tested a little app. This is a dog training app called Doggo. So that's D-O-G-O. Uh-huh. It's like Duolingo for dogs. You know, like the language learning app? And you do it in like modules. You learn languages in modules. You know this? Yeah. It's like that, but for dogs to train them. So it gives you, okay. yeah. you can see here, I'll flick you through, it gives you different modules for you to teach your dog different tricks. So sit, down, put them on a leash. Yeah. So what happens, okay, so what happens if you press down, for example? So that's lessons in how to sit down. I sit mean, dogs and, don't look at the app, Sit and do down it. are two different things. Fine, yeah, yeah. Okay, so sit. So then it talks you through the different steps. So you've got to, you have to have a treat. Yeah. Lift it over your dog's nose, his or her head. Right, so it's very much, it's, it's steps to train you, the human, how to train your dog. Yes, and what it has... The dog's not supposed to look at the app. No. Right. But as a fundamental part of the app, and a fundamental part of dog training for a lot of people, is a clicker. You heard yes, of a clicker? I have, yes. It has an inbuilt clicker. Okay, that's good. Can I... I'm going to lean my mic into it. Hold on. And it tells you, and each of the things as you go through, it tells you, like you said, with the step-by-step, -step, have a treat, have your clicker, and when to click. 
yeah. see treat, click, treat, click. So it's sort of step-by-step guide on how to train. How much and is it's, it? It's free. Where's the, where are they making money? They've got ads and stuff, haven't they? Okay, fine. Yeah. And it's, there's like an inbuilt community there as well. So people sort of posting pictures of their dogs and stuff like that. Yeah. People can't stop themselves, can they? And they give you challenges. Which be like this one. What's this one? Dog with shoes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you've got to train your dog to put their paws on your shoes and then you share your pictures of your dog doing that this week. See, where I think that actually could be quite good is people often say, don't they, that having a dog is really sociable mm. because you have a dog and then you get you have to go out for a walk yeah. and then you meet people in the park, other people have got dogs. But actually, if you live uh, more remotely, you live in a place where there aren't lots of people with dogs, I can imagine using that app's quite good because you're talking to other people around the world about their dogs. Yeah, and, pe- you know, it's I, I guess it's the same as having children. You have lots of questions. It's Especially, not the same as having it children. It is, because when you, get, when you get a dog, there's lots of stuff that you don't know if you haven't grown up with dogs. So you have lots of questions, and it's nice having a community you can ask. The only problem with the app is I've been trying it for about a couple of, yeah, a couple of weeks now. Yeah. Milo hasn't responded to it at all. Milo's actually really well trained. Yeah. And I trained him just with a tennis ball like because he gets so excited with the tennis ball that's his treat he's made zero correlation to a clicker yeah being a but treat he's, he's 10 years old so is it for him yeah well you should be able to train oh, really? an older dog yeah okay yeah I'm sure there's a famous line about can't think can't, can't teach an old dog new tricks that's it yeah, yeah. but yeah. it's bollocks you can well you can't I mean you've just demonstrated you can't you've got the app and you no can't. I've demonstrated that you can't teach a dog how to listen to a clicker on an app that you've downloaded from Android store Okay, I feel we've covered Susan's uh, challenge. Can we get Milo back on the lead now because it's making me a bit nervous? Yeah, you can do that. Well, I can't. You can. You just say lead on. Lead on. No, typically say it like you've got to say it with conviction. Not lead you... on. He's looking at and me. And then bend down and put the lead on. He's actually left a sausage on the floor, look. I know. So he's not that into it. Right, off we go. Milo's keen to do some more walking. Look at this. He is. He's been walking. We walked all the way here from uh, W1. He's still going. He's walked it all the way here from Waterloo. Anyway, time for your challenge for next episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's from Gavin in Market Harborough, mm-hmm. who says, I was recently listening to The Week Unwrapped. That's an excellent weekly current affairs podcast, by never the way, Ollie. Don't know if you've no, never encountered it. it. And you guys were talking about the crime monitoring app, Citizen. Have you heard of this? No. It's absolutely nuts. So we did, we covered it on my other podcast, The Week Unwrapped. It's what an app it? that's only available in America at the moment. Of course. And you log on and it uses geotagging mm. to tell you what crimes are happening in the area where you are in real time as they happen what isn't that illegal so no it's not illegal because in america it's not illegal to monitor police radios and that's how it works what i know that's ridiculous I know, but what's really weird is it when it was originally founded it was called vigilante or something <laughs> and the, the idea was that you get involved in crimes as they're happening. You get involved in crimes. Well, you know, you could go and, for example, you could go and film it and upload it to Twitter or whatever. Surely that's not the point, though. Well... It's the point to avoid the crimes. Well, Ollie, you're going to find out uh, the point. Uh, because Gavin says, uh, I couldn't believe what I was hearing, and I would love to try it out, but I would have to go to the US to do so, and I live in Market Harbour. Yeah, well, we can't do it then. It's in America. I feel like, like if this was telly, I'd have the envelope to pass you now. <laughs> With the plane tickets in, but I don't. But I have bought us some plane tickets to go to New York. No! Yes. We're actually going across the pond. Yes. We're transatlanticing. Gavin said, I would like to challenge Ollie to go to New York and try it out for himself. And Gavin, your wish is our command. So the only thing that's got 
you to get us travelling abroad or that kind of distance is the chance of me getting shot. Well, <laughs> yeah. That and just the general amusement of sending someone with social anxiety to go and seek out crimes in New York City. <laughs> it sounds horrifying. <laughs> I, so, I can't... But I'm really fascinated by it as well and I want to know what it's actually like to use the app. I mean, I know we could just download it with a VPN. So, you know, you, you genuinely, you just want me to download the app and then, like, if a crime's happening, just go to the crime. No, I want to know what it's like spending a day yeah. using Citizen in New York City. I'm surely you just wouldn't get anything done. You'd constantly be avoiding everywhere. Well, we're going to find out. And I'm going to, I'm going to come with you. So here's my further challenge to you. I'd like you to find some sort of food or drink trend, oh, like yeah. somewhere in Brooklyn or something. Brooklyn! I don't know what, like, Brooklyn. I don't know. Is that your, that's your New York accent? Brooklyn! Is it? That's good, isn't it? Uh, I used to be a co-op. That's mine. I can do that, or I can do like uh, Woody Allen kind of, oh, it's made me feel nauseous. I can do either of those. Sure. I can, I can do a sort of reasonable Jackie Mason as well. Go on. You had me doing a voice, so I can't do a voice. <laughs> anyway, I would like you to find a, like a trendy food or drink thing that's happened. There's always things going on in New York, isn't there? I Someone's mean, probably made a milkshake out of gold or something. You know? Oh, definitely, yeah. That kind of thing, or a craft beer that's got marzipan mashed into it yeah you you want something that we can't get here yet but yeah. we will be able to soon like chlorinated chicken yes and right. i want to go and taste that with you and discuss your morning fighting crime at the same time sure can we eat first because then if i get shot afterwards it's fine <laughs> I, i've noted your request uh ollie thank you thank you um if people have a trend that they would like you to explore in a future edition of the show uh head to our website monmanwith2ends.co.uk and click on feedback. Uh, in a moment, you are going to meet Ben. It is an extraordinary story. Please stay with us. But first, it's time for our record of the month. It's the latest one from Get, G-H-E-T-T-S. It's just been nominated for an Ivan Avello Award. It's called Black Rose, and it's out now. My daughter, she a princess. The world ain't slaughter in her skin yet. These carnies have not become important to the Kims yet But when she gets older they'll be brothers Same colour as a papa who would not be showing any sort of interest Disrespecting women who remind them of their mothers Disrespecting women who remind them of their sisters Disrespecting women who remind them of their cousins Everyone's entitled to their own taste But every time you a statement I can find a rival in my own race I love all types of women Variety is okay But society will throw shade So tell me who's fighting for the sisters then When the wrong brothers keep on dissing them Try and picture Justin as a little Daddy was around but I was raised by the women then Man, aunts, mommy, black woman significance this episode of The Mon Man is brought to you in association with Gazelle. Now, if you've upgraded your smartphone recently, please don't just stick it in a drawer. Uh, there are an estimated 125 million old smartphones in the UK just doing that being stuck in a drawer. And in the worst case, they're en route to landfill, where they will leak lead and mercury and barium into the soil. But there are folks around the world who might still want to buy your old phone or the component parts of it, and that is where Gazelle comes in. Gazelle is a self-service phone recycling kiosk. It's basically a bit like Coinstar, uh, but for phones, they pay you money for your old phone. Payouts range from 18 quid for an HTC One M7 to over 500 pounds for an iPhone XR. And I can confirm the kiosk is genuinely fun to use. It does a little 3D scan of your phone in moments. It's like sci-fi. Gazelle have years of experience in the USA where they've recycled 19 million devices and they now have 18 kiosks in England, including Westfield, London, Birmingham's Chelmsley Wood and branches of Morrison's nationwide. Find your nearest kiosk on their 
website, uk.gazelle.com, where you can also price your phone. That is uk.gazelle.com. Now, if you're a teacher, or you know a teacher, uh, the chances are you know about the pressures you face and what those can do to a person as well. Ben was one such teacher, and when he began his training, he had something of a baptism of fire. There was this one one boy who was very angry about everything, very aggressive, um, and bigger than me. And at one point, he, <laughs> he, he wasn't in my class anymore, but he came into my classroom and just started lauding it, and all the kids were sort of chanting him on. Um, and I don't know why I said this, but I said, I'm not frightened of you, bunny. Now, I've never called anyone bunny before or afterwards, but something in him flipped on hearing this word. He cannonballed over to me, grabbed me by my neck, smashed my head repeatedly into the wall. All the kids at this point standing on their chairs saying, kill him, kill him, about me. And he took me over to the door and then proceeded to start whacking my head with the door in the, in, into the door jam, into the frame. It, it, it wasn't that it was painful, although it was, it was massively humiliating. Yeah. And the school didn't get rid of him. The next morning he came into my classroom. I was there working alone. And he locked the door behind him and he said, you're not fucking telling anyone, are you? And then a few months later, he saw me on the street and followed me a step behind me for the whole of the journey from the, the tube station to the school. So, okay, how long into your teacher training journey are we now? This is the first year. Okay, so at that point, are you having second thoughts when your head's being slammed against the wall? Yeah, I'm not only having second thoughts, I'm planning my way out of it. Already thinking I'm going to try another job i'm going to retrain I, I had no intention of staying in the profession whatsoever i knew that i had to find a school that wasn't brutal or i wasn't going to get my head kicked in um but at the same time i was doing it as a means to an end i wanted to retrain as a therapist or a counselor and so i was doing that for the first two years why why because i wanted to i wanted to try and help people in some way i knew that <laughs> and teaching was not a way to do that well it wasn't helping me talk me through the school that you ended up in then it was relaxed the parents were quite artistic or or, or creatively minded on the whole and there wasn't that sense that it was a crammer and that the kids had to go to the best universities and that kind of thing okay i'm, I'm guessing this is an independent school then. it was an independent school so it's a fee-paying school yeah yeah Did, was that a difficult choice for you to make I oh feel? yeah I felt like I'd sold out. But at that point, I just thought, you know what? I, I was having panic attacks on the train. Um, I, was, I was not sleeping. I wasn't eating properly. And I just thought, this is going to kill me. I can't do this. So although I'm selling out, at least I'm still trying to help people become the best version of themselves, if you like. It was the Dead Poet Society School. If you can imagine such a thing, people were on tables shouting poetry out. And, and I was playful with it. You know, I didn't do it in a sanctimonious way, but I wanted to make things come alive. I used to get so amped up from teaching that I'd kind of come home and I'd feel wired and I couldn't relax really and I wouldn't know how to come down off it. It really would be an adrenaline-filled day. So how did you come down from it? Ah, uh -huh. so <laughs> I didn't just start drinking a lot, but I, I started using a variety of mind-altering substances. Regularly ingesting ketamine, I made a real effort to like opium, although I never really succeeded. Um, I was drinking this thing called GBL, which are little droplets you put in a drink and it kind of sends you into a near coma. Wow, okay. <laughs> I, thought, I thought you were just going to say marijuana. And a lot of marijuana. You leapt straight into ketamine. Yeah. How did that happen? I mean, what, 
as a teacher, yeah. you're one thing during the day and you come home and do ketamine. I was so wired and, and jumped up from the day that I still needed to come home and have something that was strong, immediate, and just allowed me to turn a page and have a separate chapter, which is the evening where I can breathe and, and not be coiled up. Is this something you did with your girlfriend or were you doing it by yourself? Did she know about she, it? She knew about it, but she wouldn't really be joining in as much. And, uh, you know, I think she took the opinion, that's what I want to do. That's what I'm going to do. And it's, it didn't seem like some kind of dangerous or ill-advised thing to do, although in retrospect, of course, it was. I'd keep it on a level for the next two years. And then when things started getting more stressful, then it started to really increase. And that's when the damage started to occur. There was, was always this, this feeling that I was sort of in a cartoon or something. There was just this detachment from reality. I felt I was in a, a TV show of my own life or something like that. But you were actually getting promoted at school. I did very well. You know, I, I got on with people. And you, you were I ahead of a department. Like I was ahead of a department. What I, did you think the career progression was going to be then? Did you, did you want to be a deputy head? No, or? no I, I didn't want to be, I still didn't want to be a teacher. It surprised me that I had my own department. I thought, well, it was the, it was the talking head song. Is this, you know, it, it just, it, I've had my own department, but it didn't really feel like anything I actually wanted. And I was not interested in becoming a deputy, didn't want to be a head. And so I always had one eye on what else could I do. Mm. But then again, the whole thing was, kept going by the fact that I had this need to need for attention so Nicola was uh, one of my pupils she came into my class I think when she was probably 14 15 and over the next couple of years we just sort of got got on a lot but I, I got closer to her when the school put her forward to have counselling with me. Why did they do that? I don't know. I don't know. To this day, I always wonder why, why the hell they did that. She was presenting with a feeling of depression and self-harm. Not anything severe. It was more of a sort of emotional burnout. So she's 16 at this point? Uh, yeah, a little, a little younger than that. And yeah, we, we just started talking now. It wasn't... Um, it wasn't anything weird at this stage. It was just the fact she needed someone to talk to. And I, and I was the person she talked to. But from those sessions, it just, there was just this kind of friendship that developed. You know, could have a laugh. You know, I'd, I'd know what was going on. I'd try and cheer her up. Because I was to her, her teacher and her counsellor, it would be difficult. So in class, if I'd see that she was going through a mood, you know, I wouldn't respond like a normal teacher would and say, you know, Let's get on with it. You've got a task to do. I'd probably be more forgiving. It was kind of a conspiratorial thing, actually, because we in the classroom couldn't be as informal as he would be if I was listening to her talk about her crappy week and her problems at home. The school was saying whenever she's in a lesson and she feels the urge or feels sad, she's meant to go straight to my room. Right. And they announced this in a staff meeting. I just remember thinking, this this can't be right. At the same time thinking, okay, yeah, I'm happy to do it. You know, I felt very protective at this point. What what was making you feel uncomfortable about it? Well, because in the middle of any lesson, you pull a face, you make a frown, and suddenly you're rewarded by going to have a, 
a kind of 15 minute pep talk you're worried she could play the system yeah it offers your brain a reward for unhealthy behavior which is what i was sort of trying to stop did you talk to your girlfriend about it i don't really talk about my feelings and so during all of this i never really talked about what was happening to anyone in my social circle and again i think if people had heard this they might have said i'm not sure this is this is great they might have said i'm not sure this is your job they might have said it's not my job which it wasn't did you have an inkling of that that actually you're not being you're not being paid for that you're not qualified for that i didn't that didn't cross my mind in teaching you have to do a whole lot of things you're not paid for that you sort of just you just do but emotionally it was taking a toll it, i was taking it home with me and i started to take i started to take more drugs to 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 not feel these these feelings i guess i was taking on i know therapists they have supervision you take what happens in your session with a client you take that to your supervisor and they process it and they have a supervisor you know all the way up to the you know, head of therapists or whatever i didn't have that i and i didn't talk to anyone about it either so i was just bottling up all of this responsibility and and and, and negativity and dealing with it the best way i knew which is just to drink and drug it away The Christmas holidays were when I got the first email. She'd found my email online and written to me saying I'm having a panic attack. I'm stressing out about this, I'm stressing out about that. Do you, when you say she found your email online, that's because presumably in the Christmas holidays you're not supposed to be responding to your school email to students. Oh no, no, no. She wouldn't email me. She's never emailed me uh, before this point. And the email's pleading, please don't know send this to my mom it's only gonna make it worse all i need is just some tips about how to get through this i replied saying i can't get into an email correspondence with you i should really send this to your mom but i'm sorry you're feeling so bad i'm sorry you're feeling stressed here's some ideas i went straight into the the counselor stick that uh, i'd be doing the school the same role was there anything inappropriate in that email no nothing no I was I was made an effort to be were you thinking more formal this is an email chain that might come to light in the future absolutely Absolutely. And I just thought, this is, this is dodgy. This is now, and that was a boundary. That was, this isn't right. You shouldn't be emailing me. At the same time, I did feel glad that I could still offer that assistance. And then the emails started to come. And once I'd say yes to the first one, I, ha- I felt I had no grounds to say stop after that. Before we went back to school, I said, look, I'm glad I've been some help over the holidays, but this has to stop back at school. And so I went back to school and it stopped for a week. And then I got another one through. So you'd, you'd have a day at school yeah, where you were maybe her mentor, as you were saying, mm-hmm. also her teacher. Mm-hmm. And then you'd come home and send each other emails. Well, I'd come home and I'd pray that there'd be no emails. And when one dinged in, it was this pleasure and pain thing of, oh, I'm kind of glad and I kind of want to read, read it. At the same time, I'm like, oh, God, what, what the hell am I doing? Was that a sexualized excitement then? No, it wasn't. It was that more- wasn't a flirtatious feeling? It's really hard to describe something that is flirtatious, but isn't sexual. It was a kind of excitement. Someone on the train looks up and they smile at you and you smile back and you go back to your book. That kind of, that kind of feeling that isn't 
you're not thinking, God, I want to, I want to snog them or anything like that. It's a connection. It's a connection, and it's also. But it, it's very inappropriateness is the thing that makes it sound like it had a free son. I think what I think that's it. The fact that it was so forbidden gave it this. I call it the the red button moment. You know, when you you see that button on the wall, do not press. You see the wet paint sign. You think, ah, why not? What kind of things were you saying in the emails now? The worst it got were things like saying, um, oh, you know, we should win an award for our restraints, you know? So Meaning was, sexual restraint? We, oh, yeah. The fact that we didn't go there, you know? That, so there was this... So that, clear, is, that is explicitly... Say, I mean, I it know it's, it's subliminal, yeah, but it's, it's there. It's there. It's the, I fully admit it. I fully take responsibility for that. It you, was there. you wrote that? We should win an award for our restraints. Yeah. In response to her saying something similar, um, that, you know, there was always this agreement that we sort of admitted we liked each other. When did that happen? In one of the emails. So never face to face? No, 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 no. That's that's the thing. When when we'd see each other in therapy and the classroom, there was just no talk of it. And clear teacher-student boundaries. Oh, yeah, yeah. There was no No touch. No flirtation. Oh, God, no, no, no. Nothing like that. Even when you're one-on-one? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then and you'd I, come home and write emails in which you said we're being very restrained. For example, yeah. What were you thinking? I. This is it. I, it just felt like I had lost the plot. But literally, what were you thinking? What was I thinking? What were you thinking you were doing? I, I remember thinking, look, at least it, it's not sexual. And I know what you're saying. It's underneath it's flirtation kind of is. And it is. But I guess I was thinking... I know nothing's going to happen here, and she knew nothing. Nothing's going to happen here. I think we were just two quite bored people making the time move faster by having this distraction. How many emails did you send each other? <sighs> there, there were probably there were dozens. There were dozens, and often they weren't very meaningful. And they certainly were not. It was no, nothing. It wasn't like pictures and weird stuff like that. It was. It was more just from the heart you know like what what you'd sort of say to yourself if if if, if no one else was uh, was listening this is when i started drinking seriously so because of this stress in the christmas holidays um i thought the most intelligent thing to do was to just drink more and that would make it go away so i was drinking at that stage about a bottle of whiskey a night and i'd go home with like resolve so so pathetic resolve saying no i'm not going to do anything tonight i'm not going to reply half through the bottle of whiskey I'm already in my you know third email so and it was this excitement like oh someone actually cares about me someone likes me where did you stand on the age of consent it doesn't it wouldn't have made a difference to me legal not legal because I knew that wasn't it was off the cards because it wasn't just a teacher pupil problem it was the fact that to me that would be just CD even if I wasn't a teacher and she was of age but that age I wasn't thinking about it because it didn't feel real it didn't feel like a real thing and it certainly was never any sort of plans to do anything or even near it. There was never even a hug, you know. It wasn't, it, it was an abstract flirtation contained within the written word. And that closeness, the, 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 the flirtatious stuff, yeah, that did genuinely come as much from her as from you? 
it's a really tricky one, isn't it? Because if I'd heard this story, I'd say, well, it was my responsibility to, even if it did come from her, to, to not get involved. And that's the truth. I think it was probably equally from both sides, but I didn't really clock the fact that it was my job to shut it down properly. Because even if she's showing interest in that regard, some people listening to this would say, this may have been inadvertent. Sounds like grooming. Yeah, and no, and that, that's it. I didn't have an end in mind with it. I wasn't trying to think, okay, let's just have this end goal in mind, which is that I'm going to try and seduce you. And this is what I'll do to try and, you know, bring you into my trust, that kind of thing. It sort of snuck up on me. I should have been much more aware, but it snuck up on me. And by the time I realized, actually, I really do, I really do connect. I really do enjoy this person's presence in my life. It felt too late. And I just felt at that point, I didn't know how to stop these emails. Didn't know how to, to, to not reply. Did you think of asking someone for help yourself? No. Because by after the point of the first email, I thought, whichever way this, this comes out, it's not going to look good. One morning, I was walking to work. I had a very odd feeling. I mean, it, I, was, I was probably the most unwell I've ever been. Not sleeping properly, kind of shaking. Um, well, hungover, I imagine, if you're... Yeah, I was hungover constantly. I came into work, and at the end of the day, um, the headmaster came into my room and said, like... Uh, got some people downstairs just have like a quick word and I, I walked in to the office and two police officers were there and they arrested me what did you think when you walked into that office and saw them did you know what it was immediately no no i had no clue what did they say what did they say to you exactly they announced that they were arresting me for suspicion of inciting uh, a breach of trust. I forget the word, the wording. It was, it was something very formal. I remember reading it on the page and just my stomach dropping. Um, Had you ever been arrested before? No, 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 no. I fell over. That was the first thing. I just, I think I fainted or crumpled and I knocked my front tooth out. And I remember just, just, just blabbering, saying, you don't understand, you don't understand. I was trying to help. They didn't cuff me, but they said, if I don't calm down, that they were going to have to cuff me. And they took me in an unmarked car. What were you thinking in the car? <sighs> I was thinking I'm going to kill myself. I was thinking this is awful. There's no, there's no coming back from this. Um, people are going to think I'm a monster. Um, I was thinking of all the people that, I, that would be hurt. It was this idea that this character I'd spent so long on this idea of being this inspirational teacher was going to be seen as a sort of worse than a sham a sort of ruse as a sort of evil groomer you know which I'd never thought of as myself but obviously then I suddenly thought fuck that's what I've done you know that's I have I've, I've led this I've led this person on I've uh, I've gone there you know and all my justification to myself which is always that look it's not physical it's never going to be physical you know, there's nothing explicitly sexual is ever said. You know, all those justifications suddenly fell away. And I thought, nah, it's, it's messed up what you've done here. It suddenly hit me, the reality. I, I'm guessing you didn't know for sure how the police had come across this information, but you must have suspected Nikki. So what were your feelings towards her at that point? Did you feel she'd betrayed you? No. Well, I, I, I knew what happened because they told me. And it was that the mum had seen some of the emails 
and straight away called them in. And although there was nothing in the emails, you know, there, there, there was obviously red flags went up everywhere, thinking that is there something else going on here we don't know about. My girlfriend got a knock on the door and the two policemen had to tell her what, that I'd been arrested. They couldn't tell her what for. Then they had to go through my house and take every single electronic device. I was arrested in the evening and I think I got a phone call, I think about 11, 12. And the only number I knew was my mum's partner. And um, I briefed him. And a few hours later, a lawyer arrived and just said to me, just say no comment. And I just remember just, just, just kind of breaking down and shaking. And, and I was sitting there in the station at one point and this older policeman came down and he sat next to me and he goes, listen, we can see it's not a black and white case, which was great. So it was the first moment I suddenly thought, okay, like, let's get this in perspective. You know, this isn't some kind of Jimmy Savile situation, you know, because I, I was suddenly thinking, oh my God, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm Rolf, I'm Jimmy, I'm, I'm all these monsters, I'm Michael Jackson, but I, I'm not. But I just had this sense like I'm the worst of the worst, you know. This is I saw it in its true perspective. Because you mean there were drugs all over your house and you weren't even thinking about that. Well, they said we're not. So, so we don't. We know there might be other things here. We're not here for that. But what they were looking for, presumably, mm. was child abuse imagery. Yeah, and I was glad they took my stuff because they'd see that I'm not going online looking up paedophilic shit. But that takes months. That takes months to go through all your electronic stuff. And it doesn't take long for word to spread. Oh, no. And so I, uh, I was released from the station in the early hours. I was picked up by my mom, my girlfriend. and It was a very windy night, I remember. And I just felt like I'd died and gone to hell. And I was just now trapped there. I couldn't sleep for the next few days at all. I just felt that the door to hell had just closed in on me. It just every time I closed my eyes, it was this sort of Hieronymus Bosch hell scene of just all the people in my life that were now going to turn on me and cast me into the flames. It was really horrific. Was there a part of you that still wanted to speak to Nikki? Of course, yeah. I wanted to say, look, I'm sorry that I've put you through this, that you're in this situation, because it's, it's so embarrassing for both of us, really. And she had to go back into that school environment. And obviously everyone knew that there was this closeness between us and that suddenly I disappear without a reason. I mean, it puts her in a very awkward situation. What was your girlfriend saying to you? Well, she walked out, she left me, which is absolutely right. I then... I had three failed suicide attempts after that, which is probably evidence, even more evidence of how selfish I am, but I, I just couldn't live, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. At that point, I was driven to the GP and they instructed me to go directly to a, a private medical hospital, psychiatric hospital, and I was, I was there for two months. What got you through the suicidal thoughts? What was the thing that actually stopped that? It was a text from someone in the Alcoholics Anonymous program, which is where I went straight after coming out of the cell because my, while well, my uncle sort of saw the extent of what I was doing, he came around and he's like, look, if you're going to drink and drug through this, you're going to kill yourself because it's too big to drink and drug through. Mm. You need help. And so I went into the, the program, as they call it. And for those people that haven't ever gone to an AA meeting, 
it's a lot like going into a very friendly church. Everyone's really reaching out. They know how awful you have to feel to go into one of those meetings. So you get lots of, lots of people's numbers. And uh, it was just some lady in, in one of the groups just saying, hey, I had a funny feeling. This is, remember, this is the middle of the night. I had a funny feeling. I wanted to check you're okay. I remember just sitting there in my boxes, just, just reading that text message and just, just sat and cried. Just sat and cried. I thought, there's hope. There's love in the world. You know, there's people that, that care about you no matter how many mistakes you've made. And they can be strangers. And I just thought, okay, like, I'm not going to do it tonight. And slowly, slowly, with the help of, of therapists and confronting my behaviors and my problems, I started to see what was wrong with me. After I got out of the hospital, I was going regularly to AA meetings, so I had some structure in my day, but apart from that, I wasn't doing anything. Were you waiting for the police to tell you? Yeah. Yeah, the, well, I was waiting for the police to recall me for an interview. By this point, they'd read all the emails, they'd seen all the correspondence, they'd interviewed her, and they hadn't interviewed me a second time. I had a call from my lawyer, and she'd said, they just got back in touch, they've looked through all your files, they looked for the records, and they've decided no further action. I, I said, well, what does that mean? What happens now? Because that's it, the case has dropped. I had to ask her to repeat what she'd said. I didn't even hang up the phone. I just—I think I just left it on the receiver because I—I—I I, I, I remember lying back on my my wooden floor and just staring up at the ceiling and just thinking, "My God, this this nightmare is is sort of over." How many months in was this? About six months in. That night, I went to a family evening, and while I was there. I got a message come from my phone from a, a strange number. Um, and the, the message was like, I heard you got off. So glad you're okay. How are you? And it was Nikki. I'd never felt like I had any closure from the situation. So always felt... I don't know, it always felt weird about how it ended and that we never spoke after the whole police thing. Everyone used the word victim, which I really, really hate that word because I've never felt that at all. I've had like times where I've tried to convince myself I am because that's what everyone said to me I am and still never come back to that thought. The logic being that you'd been groomed, basically. So even if you didn't see yourself as a victim, that's, yeah. that's how you should feel. Yes, those are the exact words my parents used. They sat me down and showed me six grooming steps or something and said to me, this has happened to you. And to me, that is not what happened. How do you see it? I, I definitely was the instigator. I sent the first email. I agree that um, Ben should never have replied. I don't think... I don't think that's right. But I definitely don't... If someone's been groomed, you're made to feel like you're dependent on a person or that you need someone and you want... Or in certain cases, they will contact you first. And I've, it, it definitely came from me. I don't know. I don't know how to explain it, but it doesn't feel... I just don't feel like somebody forced me to feel how I felt. And I, for some reason, I had the police she must have given me her email the interviewer um i think she was like our caseworker or something 
and I emailed her and said I would like to retract my statement and then I never had to go back to that station again and did you understand that by retracting that statement Ben wouldn't be facing prison did you understand the stakes were that high no no idea had no idea but even though he didn't face prison he can never teach again he can never work with children um no I think he's I don't think he's even allowed to be under around anyone under the age of 18 there's this teaching body and they published a report I think he was meant to attend a hearing about it and it's basically they just decide whether or not he will be allowed to teach again um and then in this report I mentioned as um pupil A which I really don't like because it it completely takes away not that it sounds like I want to be a part of the whole story and drama I don't um but it takes away well they've anonymized you like a victim yeah like they, it yeah completely and it takes from it any side that I have to tell I think so uh, I went to Australia which was the first time I'd ever been like away from my parents for a long time and felt I was in a space where I'd be able to contact him and not have my mum over my shoulder like who are you talking to so I think I sent a message saying I know you probably don't want me to come back into your life but it was more just a check in I think to see if his life was okay and things were had sorted themselves out so I guess I was carrying a bit of guilt about the whole situation and so we spoke quite a few times while I was in Australia and then eventually agreed to um, meet up when I came back and had a coffee and just it was nice to see him in person and then yeah we started dating (laughs) do you think quite apart from how you met do you think relationships with as wide an age gap as you have can work I think they can work Um, the funny thing is is that I'm so immature in some ways and so disorganized that she is far and beyond the organized principled rational person in the relationship I feel if anything I'm definitely more powerful not in like a horrible way but I definitely you feel in control of it yes I think between us our relationship is quite healthy in a weird way (laughs) I feel me and Ben are quite um, well matched although I'm a lot younger I think maturity levels balance out a little bit and what kind of things do you get up to together normal things (laughs) nothing weird Um, we go walk the dog um, go to the pub go to the cinema go out for dinner it's still very nothing exciting (laughs) It's a strange thing that like the human heart, it can be so blind, but we follow it anyway. So it doesn't make sense sometimes, but we follow it. And I don't know where it will lead. I want to rescue her still, but I don't really think she needs rescuing. I think I do. Uh, and I think sometimes she does help me with that, you know. Are you clean now? Ish. 
you know, a bottle of wine with a meal with a friend isn't the same as a bottle of whiskey on my own. Um, and I'm certainly not waking up and doing drugs. But I'm not clean in the way that, say someone who's still on the program is completely clean of anything, mood altering. But I don't use it in the same way. If I could go back, I would never have sent the email, waited until he was no longer my teacher. And if I still felt the need to send him an email, I'd done it then. And I think our lives would be a lot simpler now if that if the events hadn't occurred in the way they did. But they did, so <laughs> yeah. Listen, when you put one person who, and give them more power, more gravitas in front of other people who have less power, less gravitas, there's always gonna be this sense of attraction. It doesn't have to be a sexual attraction, it could just be a magnetic attraction. And when the person standing in front of the pupils is insecure or immoral or anything untoward, there is at risk of a relationship happening. Can't really guard against it because you don't see it coming. I did not see it coming. If you said to me the year before this happened, this will be something that happened to you, I think, no way, that's, I'd know how to stop that. That's nothing I'd get involved with. I'd, I'd run a mile. Well, it did happen to me and I did not see it coming. And the main reason I'm doing this today is I really hope there's someone out there listening who maybe thinks, oh, I'm getting myself into a weird situation here. I got it under control. You, you probably don't have it under control. Don't trust yourself as much as that. And I know that if someone said to me back then, listen, you know this is wrong, get out of it. I know I'd have listened and I'm hoping maybe someone will hear it and avoid doing the damage I did. Ben, age 38, and Nicola, now 20. At their request, we changed their names. If you have a story you'd like to share with me in a future edition of the show, just visit our website and click Feedback. And remember, if you are having suicidal thoughts like Ben did, there is plenty of support out there. I've put some numbers up on our website, modernmanwith2ends.co.uk. Please talk to someone. Still to come, Alex Fox, after this. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Time for the Foxhole, your sex questions with Alex Fox, where the content is blue, but the hair is purple, I'd say now. It's sun faded and sand bleached and brine bathed. Brine bathed? <laughs> I bet that's not what they called it in Trevor Sorby. What colour was it originally? Uh, it was a sort of purpley blue, but then yeah. I um, went to St Lucia for a week, which was glorious. But unfortunately, it had a 
corrosive effects on my hair and my arse cheeks. I got really obsessed with snorkelling, face down in the sea, not paying attention to the fact that not only was my hair being stripped of colour, but my arse was being given a brand new colour and it now looks like I'm permanently wearing adult diapers. Time for your questions of sex. This comes from a man who wishes to remain anonymous who says... Uh, Alex, my wife and I have been having unprotected sex for years. And then he puts woohoo in brackets. Uh, There's a good reason for this, though, he says. We have zero risk of conceiving due to my wife having a condition called primordial uterus. Uh, what do you think the word primordial means, Ollie? I, I, I'm thinking Flintstones, like, yeah. I don't know. A lot of people think primordial means primeval or existing from the very beginning of time. Uh, this woman doesn't have a prehistoric womb. Uh, in terms of cells and tissues, primordial means very early on in developmental stages. So what it means in this case is she has an underdeveloped womb. OK. Well, he says she's never had a period, but her bits and pieces are all in good working order. But they want a child, Alex. He says, we've considered adoption, uh, which we believe would be amazing, but we're wondering about what our other options are. Surrogacy is one. That's when another woman carries your child, basically, right? That's right, yeah. You can either uh, choose to have a surrogate mother who carries your egg and your partner's sperm inside her and grows a baby that way, or you can use a donor egg or donor sperm, any combination really, but you're basically using somebody else's body to grow your child. Well, he says we'd need to be sure that my wife's eggs are viable. So obviously he hasn't allowed for the fact they could be using someone else's eggs, but I suppose obviously they want to use his wife's if they can. So his question is, what other procedures, approaches or methods are out there that could be an option for us? Okay, well, to kick off, let's just explain there are all sorts of reasons why somebody might have an underdeveloped uterus and without access to an MRI machine and blood tests and uh, this person's full medical history. I can't know exactly what's caused that situation for her. And so it's difficult for me to guess whether she might have uh, functioning ovaries and thus eggs that could be viable for use in a surrogate, for example. I mean, to be but, fair, that's not what he's asking. He's not saying, Alex, use your psychic powers to determine whether my wife's eggs are viable. Well, there are a couple of clues that suggest that they might be. Uh, and this is just a guess based on some of the things he said, so I may be wrong. But I suspect that this woman might have a form of what is fully known as deep breath Meyerotikansky Kusterhauser syndrome, which occurs in about one in every uh, four and a half thousand or five thousand women, and it's often not discovered until a woman is around sixteen or seventeen when she fails to have a period. The reason that you might not know that there's anything amiss until that point is because in MRKH syndrome the ovaries are still present and hormonal levels are normal. So all the normal signs of puberty do occur. It isn't until periods don't start that uh, someone does an examination and often discovers that in some cases the vaginal passageway is either entirely absent, there's no hole there if you will, or it's shortened and there is no uterus. In this case, since this person says that his wife's bits and bobs are all in working order, it sounds like she does have a vaginal passageway, uh, but that is still possible within MRKH syndrome. The good news is that if her ovaries are present and functioning, they may, as he suggests, be able to uh, harvest some eggs from them, as you would do if you were preparing for uh, in vitro fertilisation, uh, and use those in a surrogate. Now, I've given a very brief, light-hearted sounding summary there of what can be a really 
fairly long, painstaking and often complicated procedure emotionally, physiologically. If you are interested in surrogacy for whatever reason, I do recommend checking out the writings of Sophie Berenzer. She does a column in The Times. She's a writer who um, sadly lost the ability to carry children after receiving treatment for cancer. Uh, And she's now explored her options when it comes to both surrogacy and I believe adoption, which is another thing that our listeners mention as something they're considering here. Okay, but he knows about adoption. He's saying what else is there other than surrogacy? What might be, I don't want to say easier because nothing about having children is necessarily easy, but what else can we offer? Well, something that is showing promise... Although I must give the warning that this is very, very early days and an extremely difficult procedure with, at the the moment, a fairly low success rate. But it is possible and babies have been born through womb transplants. Why would you donate your womb? Uh, Mothers and sisters have donated their wombs to people who've uh, either been born without one or lost one through illness. Okay, so Um, they think I've had all I need out of this. I'm going to give it to my sister. Yeah. In fact, the first baby that was ever born, this was in 2014, from a transplanted womb that had been taken from a living donor was a mother donating her womb to her daughter. So her daughter bore a son from the same womb in which she herself was conceived and born from. Ooh, and yeah. the eggs that created the sun were in as well, when yeah, they were so in her like as a fetus. Conception, inception. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite a mindfuck, isn't it? Yeah. But about a dozen babies now have been born from uteruses provided by living donors. Okay, but when you say this is all very early, so does that mean it's a bit kind of, do you have to be part of a university study? It's not something you just go to a hospital and ask for. There is a study taking place in the UK at the moment. Uh, the, I think the foundation are called Womb Transplant UK and that's what in... it says on the tin doesn't it? <laughs> it it does it does yeah unfortunately the success rate isn't huge on this worldwide around 42 women had received transplanted wombs from both deceased and living donors uh, and 11 babies had been born so those statistics aren't fantastic but it is still pretty amazing okay and if the idea of any kind of surgical intervention at all doesn't appeal to this couple is there like a lab version of this Well, there are people out there who are investigating the potential to build artificial wombs that could potentially exist even outside of the body. There's a really interesting documentary on this. It's an episode of BBC Crowd Science series, so check that out. At the moment, artificial wombs aren't being investigated in order to grow a baby from conception all the way up to birth. They're more being designed to help children who are born hugely prematurely Mm. to survive outside of the body. It's incredibly difficult to build a fake uterus and fake... I wouldn't uh, try. ...fake system, if you will, yeah, (laughs) that has the ability not only to grow with a child over a nine-month period, um, but to supply all of the nutrients that it needs and, and remove all the toxins and excretions from that baby and basically function the same way that things like the placenta would within a woman's body it's really really difficult well not least we don't know the psychological impacts of that do we i mean who knows what a child is responding to when they're inside their mother's tummy that they can't get from an artificial environment precisely there are a lot of people that are concerned that um building something fake in order to bring a child into the world from conception entirely bypassing the need for a human body might have psychological might implications, raise some ethical questions. Yeah, yeah. for that child <laughs> later down the line well those ethical questions i guess like if you were doing this as a kind of radio phone in the question would be 
Of course, we're all very sympathetic to this lady who wants to have a child but can't. But where do you draw a line that says, actually, some people can't and should you keep investigating this? This is the headlines you see over IVF, isn't it, when people in their 60s end up having children. What's your view on it? Because there's a lot of money going into this. This is a really difficult question for me to answer because you're asking me to give my personal view on how far I think anyone should go to have a child and build a family in that way in the manner that they desire. I don't entirely think it's my job to tell them what is right for them. And as is so often the case with medical advancements, something that has applications in one field, for example, uh, helping women who desperately want to carry a child and bring their baby into the world in that very particular personal manner, can have applications in other fields too. So yes, whilst this is a lot of work and potentially a lot of money being buried into research, um, the things that we learn from it are likely to be able to help other people in other ways too. I wonder as well whether there's actually a knock-on effect to all of these developments that might mean fewer children getting adopted. Because that was, you know, not to sound callous about it, but that was the market for children left behind, wasn't it? Is that there were couples who couldn't have children, they'd be the people who'd adopt you. Well, I guess it's important to remember that there are lots of families that include both adoptive children and biologically spawned children. Mm. Um, So having a child via the traditional means, if you will, doesn't preclude you from having an adoptive family also. There is also an argument that says that the more that we research things like IVF, egg freezing, womb transplantation, anything that potentially allows women to carry children later in life and thus foreground and prioritise their careers Mm. is monetising having children in a way that may not altogether be healthy for people. It's encouraging women to work until later in life. And whilst some people see that as an empowering thing that gives women and and indeed men, uh, anybody who wants to um, construct a family in that way, more choice, there is also some pressure potentially attached to that. From employers, you mean? Yeah, there are employers right now who will help fund things like IVF and egg freezing if you agree to uh, work more and work longer hours. Mm. Do you know what, Ollie? If I'm hesitating to answer some of your questions on this, it's partly because any kind of ethical dilemma and, and new science like this is often very difficult to give an exact answer on. And it's because it's so emotional as well. But also, I'm 36 and I haven't used my womb yet, at least not to grow any babies in it. I've certainly used it for a fuck ton of other things. <laughs> but I am torn at the moment on whether I am going to be a mother. I'm a very proud godmother. But I don't know whether or not I am destined to be a mum in a traditional sense, or if I am going to have children, what route I will take. And you you are at that age where all women, if they haven't decided that, are aware of that clock ticking away. It's not a clock for me. It's a freaking huge gong, donging on a daily basis. So you look into this Um, stuff and when you're researching it, is there a part of you that's thinking of yourself? Very much so. Uh, And rather naively and breezily earlier in my life, I said, oh, well, you know what? I don't want to have biological children right now. Um, But hey, there's always adoption later on. And hey, maybe I could freeze my eggs. For the latter of those two options, I looked into it. And not only is it for me 
prohibitively expensive because not only do you have to go through the process of injecting a lot of hormones and then the rather unpleasant uh, procedure of having those eggs harvested which is very expensive but you have to pay to keep those eggs frozen until the time as and when you may use them Mm. then when you defrost them not all of them are viable or, or survive that process the the rates of successful conceptions that are based on frozen eggs are nowhere near as high as I feel that I was led to believe by the media. Uh, And thus, that has not proven to be, for me, the insurance policy that earlier in my life I presumed it might be. And similarly, I have some dear friends who are going through an adoptive procedure at the moment. They're, They're hoping to bring two little children into their life. It's extremely exciting. But good Lord, watching what they've had to go through... It is not easy. It is not fast. Be prepared to have your whole life put under a microscope for good reason by uh, the agencies that coordinate adoptions. They need to know that you're going to not only be good parents, but that you have the funds, um, the setup and the longevity and the health uh, to give a good life to children for for the rest of their, their, their existences, really. They have felt really like they have been examined at harrowingly close quarters. There's been funny moments as well. Uh, They've had to renovate the house quite extensively in order to make it child friendly. Uh, In the flurry and the expense of undertaking all this work, they accidentally, uh, someone who was hired to work on the house, accidentally kicked a craft knife under the sofa (laughs) and the home visitor who'd come to interview them about their adoption found a knife on the floor. They laugh about that now, but they were really frightened that that moment might scupper the whole process for them I think it's wonderful the the various ways that you can bring children into your life now should you wish to Uh, I don't like the phrase start a family because I think a family can be just a couple or a variety of adults or you know a family doesn't necessarily mean children to me but if you do want children in your life it's wonderful the various ways that that can happen now but I think more people need to do their research. That certainly applies to me. I'm now realising in my mid to late 30s that I wish I'd known a little bit more in my late 20s. Well, I'm sure there's plenty of people out there that now want to write in with advice for you. But if you would like to take (laughs) advice from Alex on your matters sexual, then uh, send us a question via the website. Which is modern man with two N's, thetwins.co.uk. And if you want to follow Alex on social media, you can find her using the at preposition followed by the words Alex Fox with an I, A-L-I-X-F-O-X. And with that, we have very nearly reached the end of this month's Modern Man, but there is just time to appoint a new ambassador. It is Sammy in Rome, who has left us the following five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you, Sammy. Uh, He says, Ollie, I am often disappointed by your podcast when I arrive at work and have to switch it off. I find all your interviews thought-provoking and really enjoy all the elements of each episode. I'm a British expat here in Rome, but as a relatively new listener, was unsure whether the position of Roman ambassador was available. Uh, Well, Sammy, not only is it available, you could, according to my spreadsheet, have had all of Italy, if you'd been so bold. But anyway, you only asked for Rome, so I now proudly pronounce you ambassador for Rome. 
congratulations. Uh, if you'd like to be a man ambassador, just buy us a beer via the website or leave us a review on iTunes like Sammy did. That really helps other listeners discover the show. Until next time, our theme music is by Django Django. I've been Ollie Mann, the producer, Matt Hill. And we'll see you next month. But just know that I'll be there for you To keep you going Next time on The Modern Man. She would have never thought that that could have been possible. Like, she could have never given me that life. You know? It was, like, mind-blowing for her. One woman's incredible story of sporting success, reunited families, and performing breathtaking circus acts with a disability. Jen Bricker. Next time on The Modern Man. Download it June the 1st, wherever you get your podcasts. So, retrospectors, what historical events are we ticking off on this week's run of Today in History? Well, on Tuesday, we head to the battlefields of medieval Spain to witness the very first ambulance. On Wednesday, it's the anniversary of the day Coca-Cola's creator hit on his winning formula. He dropped the wine, but kept the cocaine. On Thursday, the thief who stuffed the crown jewels down his trousers. And on Friday, when free-spirited Danish parenting put 90s New York in a tears. We discuss this and more on Today in History with the Retrospectors. Ten minutes every week weekday wherever you get your podcasts.